Jesus, thank you that you're our Savior, that you purposely, personally, and powerfully pursue us. Thank you that you know us each by name, that you know the hairs on our heads, that you know why we showed up today, why we're watching online. You know our deepest and darkest secrets. You know that last 1%. And yet you choose to pursue us in our mess, in our loneliness, in our darkness. And salvation is a gift. God, I pray that you would just reach down and touch each person here, God. I pray that they would hear your words, not mine. That you would bring each of us to the end of ourselves and our desires, our selfish desires. And that we would come to you, open arms, and receive what you have for us today. In your holy name, amen. Like the woman at the well, Jesus purposefully, personally, and powerfully pursues us. Jesus met me at the well in July 28, 2009. Everything changed for me that day. Uh, We were at an annual beach uh, vacation with the family and a few other friends and their family. And we went to play some putt-putt. Anyone ever play putt-putt? Went to play putt-putt. Henry was four. Eli was two. Uh, Eli had hit a golf ball off the tee when he was one year old, so he had the coordination. And so uh, that day was a little different, though. We went to play putt-putt, and Eli didn't want to play. And rewind, we had been to the doctor five different times over the last few months. He had slowed down a little bit, and we couldn't figure out what was up. And because he didn't want to play, let's take him to the doctor again. And so um, Ann was going to take him, but she didn't have her license. And so I ended up taking him, walked into the doctor's office, and it was a two-hour wait. And the impatient person that I am, I was like, where else can we go? What's the plan B? And they pointed across the street to an internal medicine clinic. And so I went there, walked in. It was a ghost town, which is great. All right, we get in fast. But I saw this little bead play table that our sales reps had given five of 100 doctors, and this doctor had one. And so I called the manager and said, hey, we're at this doctor's office. Eli's sick. Who do I need to see? And he said, you got to see this doctor, but don't see this one. And so we got in, see the doctor. He ran tests, and he said, you need to go straight to the emergency room. I was like, all right, I'll swing by, pick up Ann. He's like, no, you need to go straight there now. And so I walk in the emergency room. It's packed. And they took us straight back. Um, They ran tests. And that day, they diagnosed him with cancer, leukemia. And when you hear that, you're like, oh. Um, They needed to do a blood transfusion. We We were at Myrtle Beach. And jumped in the back of an ambulance with Eli. They made a five-hour drive in two and a half hours, got back. and we, That's when we started our three-and-a-half-year journey of cancer treatment. That day changed everything for me. Ann and I started to play man-to-man defense, right? So when Eli was in the hospital, I was with Henry. The next day, we flip-flopped. He was on 15 different meds. Uh, sleep was rare. But I remember the bench at Levine's Children's Hospital. You would sit down, and I remember like 2 in the morning, opening God's Word, right? 
And it was like Jesus had just put his arm around me. And he's like, hey, you're the one. I'm the one you've been chasing. I satisfy. I'm enough. July 28, 2009 was a terrible day. And yet, God used it to rescue his boy. He rescued me. He pursued my heart. He told me everything I'd ever done. He brought me to the end of myself. My selfish motives, my ambitions, my arrogance, my pride. I still struggle with that. But he brought me to the end of that so that I could look up and see him. I don't think I'm alone in this. Everyone, everywhere is struggling with something. We have these selfish desires and needs. And nothing will satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy. Everyone, everywhere needs Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus is purposeful, he's personal, and he's all-powerful in his pursuit of people in our hearts. And so this morning, I want to reflect on a life that was changed, a life where Jesus, he was purposeful, he was personal, and he was all-powerful in the pursuit of this person. And I want, us to, I want to call us to respond to that, too. So you heard Billy Reed. We're continuing our series in John, John 4. Um, I have the privilege of being an elder. My name is Phil at uh, Christ Point. Um, so we're going to reflect on this, and I want to challenge you at the end. Okay? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 4. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1. And let's sort of see what the Bible tells us, right? So John starts off, he says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, they left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from this journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is one of my favorite Bible stories in the Bible. Uh, picture this. Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And he says, we need to go this way. And they're like, no. Nah. We don't go through Samaria. We go around Samaria. And he said, no, we need to go through Samaria. We're going to stop here for a second because he wasn't supposed to go through Samaria. Jesus was not supposed to go. Jews were not supposed to go. The Jews are looking for a leader, a conquering king. If Jesus is going to save anyone, it wasn't going to be the Samaritans. It was going to be the Jews. Jesus goes to a place of non-Jews. He's purposeful, but he goes to these outsiders. It's there that he finds a woman at the well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is significant in three reasons. Number one, she's a woman, right? Her gender. Number two, she's a Samaritan woman. 
And number three, she's a Samaritan woman with a past, her sort of status. And so if you start with the first one, she's a woman. Jesus strikes up a conversation with a woman. So if you look at verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. In that culture, men were more important than women back then. Women were inferior to men. It's just how it was then. Um, it was unlikely or at least uncommon that Jesus would strike up a conversation with a woman at the well. That's number one. Number two is she was a Samaritan. Remember the contrast? Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. So not only is she a woman, but she's a Samaritan woman. So when you read in verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. This isn't a small thing at all, because it's like, it's like saying the Ukrainians saw the Russian and warmly introduced them, or the Jew greeted a Palestinian with a hug. It's one thing to strike up a conversation with a woman, but it's something entirely different to strike up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Add to that, she's got a past. She's got a sticky past. Uh, another thing that's really significant is the time of their meeting because the time of the meeting likely tells us a little bit about the background of this woman. So if you look at it, it says it, it was about the sixth hour, which is high noon. And when people would go to draw water from the well, they wouldn't do it at the heat of the day, in the middle of the day. They would do it in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. So going to the well might be like, hey, we're going to grab some coffee in the morning, Right? And you catch up with your buddies at work, you grab some caffeine, you do a little chit-chat, you talk, you catch up. Um, so why would a woman go to the well at the hottest part of the day at noon? Well, she's likely doing it because she's trying to avoid being seen. She's got a past. We're going to see that as we continue the story, but... People in the town are probably talking about her. She's been married five times, and she's living with someone that's not her husband. So listen to what Jesus says. We're going to fast forward a little bit in the story. This is from uh, verse 16 through 18. It says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So they're probably calling her names. So what, if someone's calling you names, what do you do? You don't, you don't stick around, right? You stay away from the crowds. You avoid them. You hide, right? I've been there. You've probably been there too. So here's a woman with a past at the well at the heat of the day, and Jesus is sitting there waiting on her. He's purposeful. So she was a woman. She was a Samaritan woman. She was a Samaritan woman with a sketchy past and less than flattering present. She... And Jesus, think about that. And Jesus struck up a conversation with her. Jesus did this. And he continues to do this. There's not a, it's not by chance that you're listening online or you're sitting here today. Jesus is purposeful 
in how he interacts. Jesus, he preached to thousands. He ministered to one. Your one matters. You matter. Jesus is purposeful. So, think about there's been two characters Jesus has confronted recently. A few weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus and how Jesus interacted with this spiritual guy, right? So Nicodemus is a spiritual guy. He would have been the guy that would be invited to the spiritual party. Uh, he gets in. He gets the acceptance letter. Spiritually, he's off the charts, right? He's righteous. He has that spiritual resume. He's a teacher of the law. This woman, on the other hand, is the exact opposite of Nicodemus, right? She's the one that gets called names, She's the one that is an outsider. She's the one that people don't look at. They avoid. She's the one that by all counts should remain out. And yet, Jesus pursued a conversation with Nicodemus, that overly righteous man. And he pursued this relationship and conversation with the Samaritan, both opposites. And yet, he pursued their heart, their heart. And so James said the other week that the religiously moral can't be good enough to get in and the irreligious rebel can't be bad enough to be left out if they look to Jesus. So Jesus is calling this woman to look to him. He's calling her to look to him. So you see in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where would you get this living water? So Jesus is telling this woman, get this, he's telling this woman, there is someone who will satisfy her deepest longings and thirst. Jesus isn't simply trying to meet this physical need of thirst. Certainly we all need water, right? Uh, Jesus did. His disciples actually left to go get some food. And Jesus had stayed at the well. He was thirsty. He drank water too. But Jesus is teaching this woman something about her deepest longings, her heart longings and desires. And that's what he teaches us. And that's our prayer. Like, God, what are you trying to teach us? So let me rewind. Like, this story reminds me of a story I heard last, uh, actually a few days ago in Guatemala. So, um, Got back from Guatemala 1 a.m. yesterday. So last week, Hope Academy Spanish 4 class. Hablas uh, Espanol? No, uh, I don't speak much Spanish, but um, I tried. Um, we left last Sunday and came back early yesterday. Puchicaba. Wow, what, what an amazing, amazing trip. So God was so, so good. So we went down there to hang out with the school. We did sort of a foreign study exchange. Um, but we had a meeting with the leaders before we left and said, all right, so how can we pray for you? And they replied, we're tired. We're so tired. We need encouragement. And we also need God to raise up some godly leaders. And so we got to spend some really special time with people down there. What a beautiful country, beautiful people. But on Friday, Courtney Elliott, Hope's head of school, shared an encouraging word with the cab, student, uh, cab teachers. Um, they were given time to reflect on God's word. Uh, one of the teachers 
shared how God met her in her greatest time of need. Um, she, she had had a child out of wedlock. She, her boyfriend had left her. She was alone. She was jobless. And she had gotten on her knees. And she cried out to God. She's like, God, I need you. I need you. And with tears in her eyes, she shared how God met her in her time of need and continues to meet her in her time of need. And what, just a beautiful picture of the gospel of how God meets us in our time of need. He personally pursues us, and he pursues you. He pursues me. Now, this woman in Guatemala and the woman at the well are all talking about the one, our Savior, who can't, who can't just pour a glass of water. He actually made the water. Everything was made in and through Jesus. The seat you're sitting in, the water you'll drink later today, the breath you breathe, he made it, made in and through him. And so getting back to the story, Jesus pointed her, is pointing her in the right direction, but she's still not connecting the dots yet. She's still not connecting the dots. So listen to her response. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? So can you pick it up at Costco? Uh, how about this living water? Like down in Guatemala, like they said, don't drink the water from the faucet, right? Don't brush your teeth with the water. Don't open your mouth in the shower. And so we were on search for water. We went to their Costco and like their version of Costco and got big old things of water. But that's not the water that he's talking about here. And she so the woman knows that what Jesus is promising isn't normal because when you look at verse 12, it says, you are, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become, a, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. You can see, give me this water so I will never thirst or have to come here to drink water. So don't miss it. There's five things here as we read that are super important. The first is in verse 10. It says, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of God. So the first thing is the gift of God. Uh, it's free. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. It's free. So what is this gift? Number two is living water. It's this living water that Jesus provides. Number three, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. So if you come to him, you'll never have to thirst again. Because, number four, the water becomes a well, like the Holy Spirit is in you. It becomes this well springing up when you drink of him. It, it doesn't, this, this thirst that you have, like I'm, I'm thirsty right now, right? I'm drinking it, but I'm, always, I'm getting thirsty again. But he's saying, hey, you come, to, you come to me, you'll never thirst again. You'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be thirsty for that next job. Like you're hungry for that next job or the next beer or the internet or sex or whatever it is, the idols that we're facing. Like he quenches our thirst. Whatever we're thirsting for, he's enough. The overflow of the Holy Spirit in us quenches this hunger and thirst that we have. And the fifth one is, this water gives eternal life. Salvation, it saves. And so on the surface, it looks like Jesus is simply saying, if she had known, 
who he was, he would give her some, maybe some clean, sparkling water, right? Uh, instead of this stagnant water from Jacob's well that's been there for a long time. At least that's what we might think she assumed. But when Jesus uses the term living water, she's probably understanding it to be something more. Because when you look at the, back at Old Testament associations, there's a lot here. So when you look back at Jeremiah 2.13, Jehovah calls himself the fountain of living water. So it says in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Psalm 36.9 says, For you, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And in Psalm 42.1-2 it says, I love this, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So Jesus is inviting her to be in relationship, not this religion, but in a relationship with him. He's telling her that only I will satisfy This is what Jesus came to do, satisfy, to be our Savior. So Jesus alludes to the fact that spiritual water will satisfy for only a short time. Eventually, you'll thirst again. Eventually, you'll thirst again, right? You'll just be thirsty again. But Jesus is telling the woman, I have something for you that will satisfy your deepest longings. You've been looking in all the wrong places. Look to me. So we've read the passage. We've reflected on the text. Um, how does God want us to respond? Each of you, we're all in a different spot, right? But the beautiful thing is God pursues us where we are. He meets us at the well. So let's look at sort of a few things. What's, first of all, what's true about us? Well, number one is, hey, we're the woman at the well. We all are. Like it or not, we all are the woman at the well. Apart from Christ, we are the outsiders. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. One sin, we're separated. Every, but the beauty is everyone needs Jesus. For those who have already been saved through Christ, it should humble us and fill us with a, a lot of gratitude that he humbly saved us, that we have been called to him. When we were far from God, God actually came near to us. He struck up a conversation with us. He gave us that living water that lives in us. And we were thirsty, and he quenches our thirst. Then flip it. What does it say about God? What is true about God? There's three things, and you've heard me say it over and over. Jesus is purposeful, and he seeks her. Jesus leaves the adoring crowd, and he rescued the Samaritan woman. Jesus went through Samaria. He didn't go around. He purposefully went through Samaria. Jesus' purpose or his food is to do the will of the Father who sent him. It says in John 4, 34, I remember Billy shared this a few years ago. We went to Honduras. This is his favorite, one of his favorite verses. He says, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of, the Father, of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came to do his Father's will and to accomplish his work. 
So here's the thing. There's, there's going to be thousands of purposes that come out of Samaria. When Jesus does one thing, he's doing a million things. We may see one, two, five, or ten, but he's doing so many more than we'll ever, ever see. And so, which means we should be slow to question and criticize what we see. Because God is on our side. He loves us. He cares us. He takes care of us. Romans 8.28 is a verse that we've clung to as a family. It says, and we know that, that God works all things to the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't say all things are going to be good. But it does say God works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We line up with God. So on our trip back from Guatemala... We were saying, hey, what were your highs, your lows? Like, what, where did you see God move? Um, we talked about a lot of stuff, but we only saw a thumbnail of what God was doing down there and is doing down there. He was before we went there. I love the song we just sang, right? He, he goes before us. He goes behind us. He's with us all the time. And so that is so, so, this so, it's so reassuring that God has a purpose and a plan, and it's not by chance that things happen. So Jesus is purposeful. He seeks her, and he seeks you and me. The second thing is Jesus is personal. He knows her. So Jesus knows the Samaritan woman, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he knows my good, and bad, and the ugly. And he knows yours. We'll see this even more next week uh, when James continues this, the finish of the story. Say, but our, here's the thing. Our mess will not scare God off. He still pursues us in our mess. He goes from this, and Jesus still chooses to press in, even when she pushes back. She's pushing back. So he goes from this physical water to spiritual water really quickly, right? Um, he says, yes, he's Jesus. He can, and he does this intentionally with the woman. He's super intentional with her. That should teach us something about our conversations with people. Think about it. If Jesus was intentional, we should be intentional. I'm not saying that every conversation shouldn't be like that deep, but like we, we can't have a normal conversation without getting personal. But we, we could probably learn something about being more gospel-centered and bold in our approach. One of our small group leaders, uh, Jordan, with our high school guys, I remember him saying this. He says, every interaction is eternal. It's not by chance. Every interaction we have with people is eternal, and that person's going to spend eternity one place or the other, right? And so Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have, con I have continued my faithfulness to you. So Jesus is purposeful. He seeks her, and he seeks you. Jesus is personal. He knows her. He knows you and I. And Jesus is powerful. He invites her. He invites you and I. So Jesus makes the boldest claim. He says, I have life for you. I have water that will spring up, and you'll never thirst again. It will give you everlasting life. So who can offer something like that? God can. Who can provide something so satisfying that will cause you or someone to never thirst again? God can. Who can provide that kind of life? God can. God can and God does. He can because he's all-powerful. 
He does because he's gracious and loving. So what is true about you and me? We all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Whether you're in Guatemala or the U.S., like the, there's vast differences between the two. When we, when we landed, we saw the differences in the culture. Like we landed, we came out, and the greeting, like I travel a little bit for work. You know, I'd love for my family to be there when I land, but like my family's not there to greet me. They had, like the whole school, upper school was there with signs, and they gave us gifts, and they greeted us with a kiss. And different cultures, right? The food, amazing food, right? The first few weeks, we got American food. We're like, no, we want your food. And so we started eating this amazing Guatemalan food, which is unbelievable. If you've never tried it, you got to. Um, the environment, like, I don't think we have many volcanoes in Charlotte, right? But, dude, we, we hiked up this volcano, like, a, and it was, an, it was not an inactive volcano. It was an active volcano, right? So we hiked across lava that had dried. This was like, I was talking to one of the students, and she, I said, have you done this before? She's like, yeah, I've done this before, four years ago. I was like, what was it like? She's like, none of this was here. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, nope. All this you're walking on wasn't here. It's, this is dried lava, lava rock, and we walk across this, right? And then, we, then they have, out in the distance, they have this little tent set up, and you sit down, and they made us pizzas on this volcano with the heat steam coming up from this active volcano. Amazing pizza. And they had 20 dogs that traveled up with us, and we're feeding the dogs food and stuff like that. We named all the dogs. We named one Jeremy, one Tommy. Like, we named them all. Like, um, so it was so much fun. But we don't have that in Charlotte. It's very different, right? Active volcano. So very different cultures, very different people, very different environments. And yet, I saw one similarity, right? The same sin in Guatemala, Guatemala is the same sin here. I mean, I saw discrimination. I saw, divert, I, I saw like, you saw, like, these crime rates. There's murders. There's people in prison. Like, there's people cheating. There's people stealing. Um, so, sin crosses all borders, so you have different cultures, but the same sin. So just like Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, they're two opposite people. He's the religious dude. She is like the outsider. He's thinking he can earn his way to heaven. She's thinking there's no way I can get to heaven, right? And yet that's not the issue. The issue is they can't earn their way, right? It's not these outward, it's the heart. They both need the same thing, and that's Jesus. We've, we all need the same thing, and that's Jesus. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. The rich kid in the school in Guatemala needs Jesus just as much as the poor orphans we visited. The Democrat and Republican need Jesus just as much as the 25 different parties in Guatemala. Believe it, 25 different political parties in Guatemala, Right? The Clemson fan needs it as much as a game cop. The African, the Asian, the, Amer the American, the Guatemalan, they all need Jesus. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Yes, we need him at salvation, but we also need him every day. So now it's time for us to respond. 
But before we do, um, I want to watch this. Clip. I want you to watch this clip. It's from the Chosen. It's four minutes long. Jesus has just walked with his disciples, and he's like, "We're going there." He points to Samaria, and they're like, "We aren't going there." He said, "Yeah, we need to go here," and they follow him, and he sends them away to go get food. And what you're going to see is a clip of him sitting and the Samaritan woman coming. This isn't the finish, right? This is just a part of it. But this gives you a sort of a taste for how Jesus just loves us where we are. Okay, so take a look. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well. None of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out noon in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, 
Where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. It's not by chance you're here. It's not by chance you're watching. Jesus, he is purposeful. He is personal. And he's all-powerful. He meets you where you are, when you need it. So we've got two groups of people in this room, right? Those who know Jesus and those who don't. And so I, I, I call you to respond, right? So let me, let me talk first to those who don't know Jesus. Let me just ask you a question. And this is me just asking this for you and no one else, right? But what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Jesus loves you. He meets you where you are. He loves you so much. You can't save yourself. I couldn't save myself. You can't earn your way to heaven. He is the savior of the world. He created the world. He's here for you. He's here for me. You saw, like, he meets us in our deepest and darkest times. And yet he still walks with us in the good times. So, like, nothing will satisfy y'all. I've chased it. You've chased it. You get that and you want more. You get more money, you want more. Like, what's next? We're all looking in the wrong places for this. So what are you waiting for? We've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But God, in his love, chose to send his one and only son, right? Think about it. He chose to send his one and only son who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death, didn't stay dead. He conquered death, rose again three days later, and he offers salvation free of charge for anyone who believes. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to do anything for it. It's a free gift. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he takes the place on the cross for your sins, and you have eternal life. You live with him. You don't have to, you don't have to give any money. Like, you just have to believe in your heart that. Make that choice, and you get to spend eternity with him. He meets you at the well. So, for those who know Jesus, my question for you is, what are you putting your hope in? What are you hoping will quench your thirst? For some of us, it might be our work, our jobs, our family. It might be that next thing we buy. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's something that we are idolizing over God. And we need to get rid of it. It's, it's, it's the question of what's next, right? And so the Bible says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What do you long for? 
What do you want? What to satisfy? Do you find yourself wanting more? I did. I often still do. But I keep on going back to like Jesus will satisfy. He is the only one that will satisfy. So our response, like for those who don't know Jesus, what are you waiting on? You can accept Christ and salvation today. You don't have to do it. Just say, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my days. I know that I was a sinner, and I want to follow you. You take the place of me on that cross. I don't have to die for that. If I trust in you, I can have salvation, eternal life with you. You just got to say that. Believe it, and you're his. And for those who are following Jesus, what are you putting your hope in? Confess that. Lay it down. Seek the one who will satisfy. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus is purposeful, he's personal, and he's all-powerful in the pursuit of people, me and of you. He pursued the Samaritan woman at the well. He pursued me on July 28, 2009. And he pursued you, and he's pursuing you. And that's such a good blessing. So Jesus will satisfy your deepest longings. He's enough. Trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that your word never returns void. That it doesn't matter what I've said or what anyone else says. Like you work in the hearts of your people. We can sow seeds. We can water it. But God, you're the one that makes it grow. And so, Father, I pray that you would just do what only you can do in the seats or online of those who have heard this word, God. Anything that I've said that is not of you, I pray that they forget it. But everything that is of you, God, I pray that it would not only take root, but that it would grow. And that we would not be just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. And you would stir in the hearts of those who don't know you, God, to come to you come to you because you meet us in our deepest and darkest sorrow. You meet us where we are. And for those who know you, God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts to chase you, to follow you, take any idols we have out of our way. And I pray that we would have eyes to see the glory that you have for us in and through you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.